here, uh, Psalm 91. Prayer changes things, still doesn't it? It still does. I like that little uh, sign you see on people's cars sometimes. Prayer changes things, changes us for sure. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my, my God, and Him will I trust. Change of direction to second person now, three to eight. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence, and he shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that, arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. And verse 9 sort of starts the second half. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways, lest they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon, shalt thou trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I delivered him, deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life, lest satisfy him and show him my salvation. May the Lord raise blessing to the reading of his wonderful word. He keeps us in terror. Now, this is not, it's in the midst of, I thought about as I read that today. You know, if you just read it, he keeps us in terror, like, don't be fearful all the time. Just the opposite. He keeps us in the midst of terror. And so then we feast, number one was the pursuit on page one, five and six, the pursuit. Then shalt, thou shalt not be afraid for the terror, the error, the arrow, the pestilence or destruction. Now, who are question number one possible human authors we have learned? David? Solomon? Moses? Isaiah? Hezekiah? By the way, Hezekiah wrote 10 of the what? Psalms. Very good. Songs of degrees. Very, very good. 120 to 134. Question number two, how many of the Psalms are termed orphan? Do we, did we remember? 48 to 50. Very good. Very, very good. 48 to 50. In your outline, the psalmist lived in a violent age if it was Moses you can just remember Moses left the ex in the days of the exodus left Egypt when they were killing the children they tried so many ways to harm the Egyptian Egyptian people did of the Israelite people we just left that if history's attempt at genocide the extermination of a race if it is David who wrote this psalm he was a man of war as you well know if it's Hezekiah he faces Shennacherib and other armies, etc. If it's Isaiah living during the time of Hezekiah, he faces the same thing under the threat of terror. The, op the oppressor of that day was the great northern power of Assyria. The Assyrians were an international, if you were, were gangsters who back baked their campaigns, as Philip says, in terror, a formidable war machine. The world trembled whenever the Assyrian kings, it should be kings, felt the need to prove themselves on the battlefield. They were It'd be like ISIS, but with a whole lot bigger army. 
Any city which resisted demands that its surrender was made a public example, leading citizens were skinned alive, impaled on sharpened sticks to scream out their closing hours in unspeakable torment. The balance of the population, young and old alike, were deported to some far-off land and thoroughly dispersed in order to destroy whatever national identity, unity they still might have. The Assyrians made as much use of terror, says Phillips, as they did of troops, to enforce their will on the world, the Assyrian nightmare haunted the ancient world for centuries. And so when you read verse 5, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. That is so much more. Think about now, and we're going to talk this. I want you to focus uh, on how this, is there stuff for us here? Yes. But remember, this is a Hebrew song to the Hebrew people during the Hebrews' time, and they would sing this in the Hebrew synagogues. So when the guy is singing this song, and they're sitting there, the Hebrew people, that's who it is for. It's for the Hebrew people. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the error that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. The Assyrians may be still viable and very much on the radar. We can still trust Jehovah. And so there is a lot for the Jewish people. There is also for us and so there's two, I want you to see, there's sort of a two, kind, two kinds of looking at, if you will, the psalm. And so that is the pursuit. Now we're going to the principle in verse 7. That sort of was a finishing up from last time. Now we're to the principle in verse 7. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Take verse 8 for just a moment. And put it into your mind's eye. This is a question somewhere on the sheet. Uh, question number three. To what future event do you think eight might refer? Now remember, this event is called the 70th week of Daniel. The first 69 weeks or 483 years all went toward the Jewish people and their history. And so... The tribulation period, I'm giving you the answer. The tribulation period is really the 70th week of Daniel to get the Israelites to turn to Jehovah. So think about that in verse 8. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Isn't there, aren't there going to be some Jewish witnesses during the tribulation period that are going to be invincible? Matter of fact, how many are there going to be? 144,000 invincible Jewish witnesses. Yes, but I want, there is for us. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall, shall abide. There's a spiritual principles here for us as well. Spurgeon says this in your outline, page two, top. It shall be so near as to be at thy side, and yet not nigh enough to touch thee. Like a fire it shall burn all around, yet shall not the smell of it pass upon thee. How true is this of the plague, of the moral evil, of heresy, of backsliding? Whole nations are infected, yet the man who communes with God is not affected by the contagions. He holds the truth when falsehood is all the fashion. Can you take a someone in the Bible that would fit that to a T? Someone who, in the midst of a perverse world, yet maintained their faith in God. 
Daniel becomes immediately, Joseph, immediately to mind, he would rather go to prison than compromise. The three Hebrew children would rather be burned in the fiery furnace. Matter of fact, they thought they were going to die. It's only by God's divine intervention that three Hebrew children, as you well know, if the guys throwing them in died, they were toast. And thus God intervened, and yet they stood for what God had said. Thinking with me, if you'll look from the exploring the Psalms, Philip says, we need to remember that when interpreting these wonderful Psalms, that they are part of the Hebrew hymn book. They're not gospel songs written for those who have put their trust in Christ since Calvary. They are old Hebrew hymns and belong primarily and essentially to the nation of Israel. We need to exercise spiritual discernment before claiming such promises as blanket guarantees of well-being today. So can we read these verses we find that each, a verse, thou shalt not be afraid. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand. If I enlist in the army and I go somewhere, and I, can I expect God, me against ten thousand around, and me to win every single time? Is, is that how we take this verse? Well, I'm just going out, and I know God. Now God will be with me. He doesn't keep us from the terror. He keeps us in the midst of the terror. But sometimes it's, it's his purpose to take the Christian home. So let's go right on. As you, uh, get your mind whirling now. Don't, 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 don't turn me off yet. <clears throat> well, I'd rather not turn me off the whole time. But The Old Testament is a blessing for Israel, including the national prosperity, divine protection. If you think back for just a moment, Israel, when they obeyed God, I was just reading this week how they went into the promised land. And did you have you have you if you've gotten the numbers yet? How the, all these other peoples were much greater than they. Did you remember reading that? The the people that you're gonna go that you're gonna whip up on, they're better than you, or they're bigger than you, and they're probably meaner than you. And wasn't like everybody had some giants in the land? They must have had great basketball teams. Like everybody in in the Canaanite people had these giants and Anakims and Achims and all these different isms and weirds. I don't know what all their names were, but they were big. And yet God delivered them. He did. God blessed them. So the godly Jew could legitimately, I think, claim these promises in many regards. Now, we know some Jewish people obviously died when they went to war. But God's hand of protection was upon the Jew when they walked with him. But now when they stopped walking with him, you either have, for example, Hezekiah. Remember, Shennacherib's army comes, Rabshakeh mouths off there by the wall, conduit pool, etc. And then over one night, the angel of the Lord goes out, 185,000 killed. God divinely protected that people when they humbled themselves. But, but then there was Assyria later on came, and then Babylon, Babylon came along in 605, 597, 586, because they had dishonored themselves by doing, worshiping other gods. Interesting, the Jewish commentator David Cooper makes these remarks. He says, uh, the verses 3 to 8 are found some wonderful promises. He says, during World War I, many relatives and loved ones bade farewell to their menfolk who went off to war. They took their stand upon these verses for the protection and safe return of their loved ones. Many of them, however, never came back. 
At the present time, he says, there are many consecrated Christians who are likewise taking their stand upon these verses in behalf of their loved ones as they go off to war. Thus, they look to God to fulfill this promise in behalf of their loved ones today, and many of those consecrated loved ones will be sadly disappointed that their loved ones never return. He just says he's judging by the present, by the past. Has God failed in his promise? And no. No believer is going to say God has failed in his promise because the Bible is clear God does not fail. Whatever he seeks to do, he does that clearly. So that cannot be the conclusion. So if, if a Christian people can take their stand on these verses in behalf of their loved ones, and if God does not fulfill this promise contained therein on their behalf, then something is very radically wrong. Is the trouble with God? He says never. The trouble is never with God then it must be our interpretation of the promise. We must look very carefully. And it's so important, the pronouns. If you look back at verse 1, it is the third person. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Verse 2, it is the first person. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. Three to eight, second person. The these and the thous. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, etc. So now when this, this Jewish rabbi, whoever it was, was singing this psalm to the Jewish people in the synagogue, hey, wow, he shall cover thee. And then they would take that, well, God's going to be, Jehovah's going to be with us. And so the pronouns are so important in this psalm. Now, who's referred to, we obviously believe, as they're singing, it was the Jewish people. Has God fulfilled this promise, though, completely for the Jews in the past? No. Has he fulfilled it for the Gentiles here? No. It's sort of like a a post-dated check. That God has given to Israel this psalm in the regard that there's going to come a time Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday, a thousand shall fall at thy side, etc. And there's going to come a time when God is protecting his people, especially during what? The time of Jacob's trouble, which we call that the Great Tribulation, which is called the last three and a half years of the Tribulation, when the Antichrist is going to try to consume the Israelites and the Christians and persecute them to no end. So the blank check is they're going to cash it because when is it in verse eight, only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. When are they going to see the reward of the wicked? Well, when God comes back and he obliterates all those. And remember at the end of the millennium, I believe it is that Satan gathers his horde once more. And where do they fight? Don't they encamp around the city of Jerusalem, camp around camp again? Jerusalem is the center of the universe, I really believe, in many regards. Amen. Certainly the center of our, of our Milky Way. I believe the center of the universe. They're going to camp around once again because that's God's chosen city. And Satan so dislikes anything that God likes. And so for the, when the Israelite reads this psalm and hears it sung to him, they're thinking back, wow, and what God has done for him. There's, there's going to be a time when he does that. If they'll just study the verses in light of the facts to which we've already called attention to, we'll see that there's a time foreseen as one of warfare and special judgment from God in the form of pestilence, epidemics. If you want to pick a time when there's going to be pestilence and epidemics and earthquakes and all these kind of terrible things on the earth, 
hmm, besides the ten plagues, I'm thinking the, the tribulation period. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. It's going to be a time of terrible judgment. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand. But it shall not come nigh thee, especially if you go over to the rock city of Petra and that area, which I think that's going to be where the Israelites flee to, at least some of them, during the time of the tribulation. Phillips picks up again, I thought it was interesting. He says, but we are not Old Testament Hebrews. We are New Testament Christians. For us, God's blessings are essentially spiritual rather than national and temporal. We have no unconditional guarantee from God that so long as we live godly lives, we shall escape the ordinary terrors of life. A hundred thousand martyrs per year in the world today. Philip says, Philip says, as a boy and other children of school, he, he were issued gas masks in England during World War II. He said, my father taped up our windows as protection from flying glass should the bombs fall on our street. He said, one did within 50 yards of their house. We had an air raid shelter in the garden, and many a night we cowered there and searchlights as they probed the night sky. Bombs came screaming down and shrapnel from the anti-aircraft guns fell like rain. We had no immunity from the perils of war just because we were Christians. We lost loved ones and Christian friends. But pastor, the Bible says right here that a thousand shall fall and 10,000 at their right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. So how do we justify, how do we make that work in today's? Because we live in the midst, he was with us in the midst of terror, not delivering us from all terror, period. Give me another example, Pastor. I'm glad you did. Another example, Corey Tin Boone. Just watched The Hiding Place a couple days ago. She was a, a Dutch lady, the first person ever to become an official watchmaker in all of Holland. And you know what her crime was? Harboring Jews. She wasn't even Jewish. I did not realize all these things. She was not even Jewish. And yet she felt a compassion from the Lord to harbor the Jews, and she was betrayed she was sent to Ravensbrook, and she, the, the dreaded place of incarceration, and she was called a political prisoner. There was exposure, there was starvation, there was slavery, there was torture, there was whippings, there was atrocities, there was lice, there was fleas, there were guards, there was ever-present threats, there was the ever-present roll calls at 4.30 in the morning, there was the yawning mass grave at the end of Ravensbrook, all for those who died. And matter of fact, the only reason that Corey Ten Boom after having lost her sister just two weeks prior, got out of Raymond's book was because there was a clerical error. And, she, and they called her number. She thought she was going to die, walking up to die. Walked in there and said, and she had to sign a little paper that she had been treated with all kindness. And when she signed that paper, out the door she went. And she had a, a testimony. And I, I, one quote. Betsy, which I did not realize that Betsy was actually the spiritual leader of the two when they were in prison. Betsy says, we must tell others that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. What a, what a, I love that. There's no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God's grace can save you if you ask for forgiveness. And so she left miraculously and served the Lord while she lived. But pastor, it just said in, just says in the Bible here that 
A thousand shall fall. Why is she suffering when she's trying to help God's people? Surely, if there's a verse we're going to call upon, it's this one right here. It's because God does not deliver us from the terror. He helps us in the midst of the terror. These verses particularly apply to Israel. But now they also apply to us today spiritually as we look at this. That God has, he's never leave us or going to forsake us. He isn't. In the outline, bottom of two, top of three, she did escape. Actually, she was released from Raven's book and became a missionary whose testimony captured the imagination of the world. Her sister, Betsy, was a martyr. But do we have to, uh, do we have a hiding place from terror? Yes, indeed we do. God does not keep us from terror. He keeps us in the terror. Hiding place, it's for us. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Isn't that going to be a day when that comes? And thirdly, there's the protection, 9 and 10. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Remember, if you say that, if you say we've got to apply that specifically and literally to every single, then why do Christians even get sick? Why do we, get, why do we ever get COVID? If that happens, do you see the difference between we're going to, can you apply it? Personally, the Israelites had much more of application to their, and it's one day going to happen, the fulfillment of all of this. As you well know, Scripture has more than one uh, reference to, one major interpretation, but there's also, it can apply to different places, future, past, etc., Mary Duncan says, No man can have two homes, two places of constant resort, and if the Lord be truly our habitation, we have no other refuge for our souls, no other resting place for our hearts. Where is it that you turn? We've got problems, difficulties, trials. It should be the most high. Question number four, the possessor, if you would. Genesis 14, Daniel 9. The most high God. Because that's made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. Spurgeon says, he who makes God his refuge shall find him a refuge. He who dwells in God shall find his dwelling protected. We must make the Lord our habitation by choosing him for our trust and rest, and then we shall receive immunity from harm. Dwelling there in verse 10 has the idea of a, not a, 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 idea of a tent. Yet the frail covering would prove to be sufficient shelter from the harm of sorts. It matters little whether, whether, little whether we abide in a gypsy's tent or the greatest palace abroad. If God is with us, we are secure. We are invincible as Christians today as long as we're walking with God and God still has a purpose for us to do. But when our time is done and he calls us to himself, he, he'll just take us. We'll go. But until a point in time, he has a plan, a work for us to do. Wearsby says it's not that we'll never get hurt, but that we'll never be harmed. We may have to go through the valley, go through the battle, or go through difficulty, but it will not bring evil upon us. Like what Thomas Watson said, God doth not say no affliction shall befall us, but no evil. We're going to have affliction. Affliction, as I've said just the last couple of weeks, it's the norm of life. Trials, troubles, difficulties, all these things. I talked to a man yesterday. Difficult news to handle. I talked to him yesterday. and It's a trial, a severe trial. And so we have those as part of what, part of, but evil. In other words, God still has this in his hand. Satan cannot pluck us from his hand. God is yet in control. We are to dwell and with him. We are to have that secret place. 
Martin Luther wrote that one who really dwells and does not merely appear to dwell and does not just imagine that he dwells in God. That's the idea. One that truly dwells, who really dwells and does not merely appear or does not just imagine to dwell. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. That's the key. I can tell you right now that I am the best golfer in all of America. And I can say, listen, I've, I've, I've watched videos. I know how to do this thing. And so I, you can take me out to the many courses you want. And I, okay, you say the best golfer? Let's see it. Well, I've seen the video and I, I say I am. Well, let's see it. I say I'm in touch with God. I say I walk with God. Well, then we need to see it. We need to see it. This uh, pool says, this and such like promises are not to be understood absolutely and universally as if no truly good man could be cut off by the plague or other common calamities, which is confirmed both by other plain texts of scripture and by unquestionable experience. What he's saying is good men have died. Good they have. How many Christian men have been martyred? Look back in history. Just look back at the church. Get you a good book on church. I've got a five-volume set. You can't have it. But on church history, how many people lost their lives because of just saying they're, I believe in baptism by immersion. I believe for, baptism is for believers, or I don't want to join your church. Or if you had a piece of the Bible in some during Diocletian's, I think, during Diocletian's reign, if you had a, a piece of the Bible, or, or you wouldn't say that, Caesar is Lord. All you got to say one time, one time a year, Caesar is Lord, get a little certificate sign, you'll be live. We won't do it. Off with your head. You're going to the lions. And the last quote. The extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural remedy for suffering, but a supernatural use for it. Now, there are some things we can actually quibble with even in that sentence, but you see what the author is getting at. Christianity does not promise you that you will escape from suffering, but it does promise you that God will use the suffering which he has appointed for his own purposes and that he will cover you even though he, he does not deliver you. And i got two minutes. I can read this from this book. I thought this was a very... Humbling words from Job. Months of vanity. This is regarding months of vanity uh, in Job chapter 7, verse 3. Months of vanity may describe the experience of the one suffering from Alzheimer's disease or similar long-term debilitating illnesses. It should not picture the experience of the caretaker who sees the larger picture. The author says, I once wondered why God would leave his child. He's, he's taking care of his mother for 12 years who has Alzheimer's. Uh, I want to wonder why God would leave his child to linger so helplessly and uselessly. A friend who had been down the same road before us cleared it up. Quoting from the friend, There is a reason the Lord leaves them here, he said. It's not for their benefit. God appoints months of vanity to our loved ones to polish us. Since appointments are not obstacles but, or inconveniences, but equally God's appointment for us. Parents or siblings or children who require our care become the Lord's tools to shape our character, to sculpt in us a likeness to Christ, to reorient our personal ambitions and even our service. 
all rest on our submission to the providences of God and the lives of those around us as well as in our own lives. It is easy to resent these appointments as obstruction to a higher calling, interruptions to our efforts to serve the Lord. My mother is God's will for us right now. She is our service, our ministry, our calling. If God calls you to that kind of situation, it is not a setback to fulfilling God's will. It is a means to living out God's will for you and in you. God arranges such circumstances because his primary purpose is not for us to accomplish great things for him, but for him to accomplish great things in us. Now that is some deep thought right there. Because we often see that as, well, God's, and having had my mom and my father-in-law, I didn't do everything right. Looking back on that, we just uh, didn't do everything right. But God allows these things. Is God God or not? Cheryl takes care of her mom every day. Maybe you'll have that down the road. Is God God or not? He is. Then why am I chafing at the ministry God has for me now? But I've got so many more important things. Like, like what? What is that? You see, we often think, though, especially as pastors, man, if I, I've got to be doing with the pet. Well, maybe the God wants to work in you more than he wants to work in my mother was very much of a, a rounding rough edges off me. She was such an exemplary Christian. I, was, I fell far, so far short. But God wants the, these things in our lives, but he'll see us through those if we'll trust him. May we have complete submission to what he has for us each day of our lives. Shall we pray? Lord, I thank you for your word, the text of Scripture. Thank you for the writing of men who've gone through, through trouble sometimes. And their words find lodging as the Holy Spirit takes those words and applies them to our lives and takes the word of God and convicts us, smites us, if you would. And Lord, we need smiting sometimes the word of God. We certainly do because we, uh, we get the wrong direction. So Lord, work in all of our hearts. Give us safety now as we travel home. Maybe be lighthouses for you in the next few days between now and Sunday. Bring us back again to hear from your word. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.